10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea and it is The Twilight Show and we are talking about engaging with challenging behaviour tonight with author Adele Bates of Miss I Don't Give a Bleep. Welcome, bring your questions, let's get started. Live from Swansea, this is is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Um, as I said, it is uh, a behaviour special. Now, I'm just checking. Um, Adele, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Uh, you are coming through loud and clear. Now, yes. um, for those of you catching up on this uh, pod as a podcast, just a few gremlins, Christmas gremlins uh, coming through in, in the system there. So we, we uh, kind of have had a little try um, at the introductions and everything but I, I now let me start afresh um so um tonight we are talking about behavior tonight um we have our guest adele bates with us um adele um i've I'm, i've been struggling and this would be my first question i didn't prime you for this one of finding a way to introduce your book without um swearing on 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 the radio miss <laughs> i don't give a bleep is that okay i you know you're you're happy yes. with me describing it as that it has an <laughs> s it starts with an if you're i'm pretty sure if someone types that into amazon or something that, that it should come up it has an s and an h and a, a asterisk and a, and a t as well and i think that's they probably i can get what- away with that do what the kids do, Miss. I was just saying shit, per shit. That's what I was saying. <laughs> yep, certainly. That you know that 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 would help out. I will admit to this as well. This is my kind of. Um, there is another host who does a kind of uh, sh- teacher shame admittance thing. But I, I had it out in work and I left it on the desk, and one of the kids saw it and did did come in and say, "Why have you got a book with written on it?" Um, and I was kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, I have." Um, but then you know well there's an interesting conversation to have there isn't there yeah actually weirdly he did ask me what it was about and I said well you know I told him a bit about it and you know he related and so so there there we we go right so um let's get ourselves started and into it so um for people listening let's do a kind of introduction so why don't you tell us a little bit about um what you currently do and then we'll do kind of the lead up to that of, of how you got there so what is it you currently do okay so I am a behavior and education specialist I'm a keynote speaker and I'm author of Miss I Don't Give a Um, engaging with challenging behavior in schools and so what that really means is I work with young people with behavior needs and I work with the staff who work with those young people so I am training up and down the country I'm working in different schools 
uh, I'm speaking at conferences, I'm writing articles, speaking on panels, and increasingly I am supporting more and more uh, staff, everybody from teaching assistants, lunchtime supervisors, to head teachers and leaders, school leaders. And I'm now also working with a couple of local authorities on how we are more inclusive for our young people with behavior needs and SEMH, social, emotional, mental health needs. Okay, so uh, really important things going on, really, you know, I, advisory stuff going on. How did you end up kind of here? You know, how did you rise through uh, the ranks? I, I will give a quote, well, I'll give an example that, <laughs> um, from, from, the start, from the start of your book, because, you know, I, I, lots of people do not survive this kind of teaching at all. But, you know, you start your book at the about the author with, I've had juice poured on my head, I've been whacked by a skateboard. Um, yeah. and uh, people will be struggling with that you do then go on to say and I've taught a year seven people who's experienced severe trauma how to read their first ever word um, we will talk I guess a bit later about how teachers can can cope themselves but how did you you know where did you start mm, good question so I have worked in many many alternative provisions so pupil referral units um, or special schools for young people with some form of special needs, um, usually, again, SEMH, social, emotional, mental health issues. And I've also worked and still work um, in mainstream. So I really straddle across those two. And I think, thanks, thanks for that, Nathan. That's a good reminder that for me and for staff who work in APs, alternative provisions, that kind of behaviour, the juice thrown on the head, the being whacked by the skateboard, the kids on the roof, the blazers being set alight, they're actually quite normal for us. And the reason for that is because those young people are, they have extreme behaviour needs. They, most of them will have experienced some form of trauma, abuse, neglect. And we're talking about the kind of things that we find difficult to talk about as humans. So think about the thing, the worst kind of things a human can do to another human. And that's happened to some of my kids before the age of five. And guess what? That occasionally affects your behavior in the classroom. So for anyone who's listening who works in alternative provisions, um, that behavior that, that can kind of sound extreme is actually part and parcel of, of, of what we're supporting, the needs that are coming out there. And of course, once I step into mainstream, I was working in a, a mainstream primary last week, and uh, then I, I see the kind of behavior that they maybe have to deal with. And it is it can be of a very different scale, but not always. There's a massive crossover there because all of our nearly all of our students start off in mainstream and when behavior needs cannot be supported sufficiently those young people are often excluded and they end up in the alternative provisions it's the same children across the way so uh nathan remind me of the question i've gone off on one <laughs> it was beautiful it was wonderful a wonderful detour that you took it you know I, I was transfixed but um we were talking about i guess where uh, your career journey I think we, you know, we were just oh, yeah, kind of setting the Thank scene you. in your career journey. Yes. So um, my first career, I was an opera singer and I worked in the theatre and I began teaching uh, when I was 12 years old. I started teaching younger children singing. And then at the age of 13, this was way before DBS, Nathan, um, <laughs> I set up a drama school in my local town. I put my students through exams. We did shows. They were part of the local festivals. 
uh, they got places. And I look back now at 13 year olds and I'm like, what was I doing? But um, yeah, I always, let's say, had this entrepreneurial spirit. And before long, alongside my theatre work, um, I was always working with young people in some way with performing arts. And I spent eight years uh, working as an opera singer, an immersive opera singer. And alongside that, I was still working in prose and going in and doing kind of performing arts with them. And I just absolutely loved working with these young people. And because I had this medium of performing arts, I was able to hold a space. Now, this is not all young people, but a vast majority of young people with behavior needs have a lot of energy. They have a lot of aggression. They have a lot of anger. Um, and within the space that I could facilitate, I could hold that and it could be a really positive thing. And I would often end up with the young people who perhaps had ADHD or um, had some kind of needs that they, they wanted to be energetic and loud and, and they could be that in my spaces. And then as I went along in my opera career, I was, I mean, that's a whole other story, but I was enjoying it less and less. And I was enjoying the teaching more and more and more. And I realized I really want to get like, I really want to actually work with these kids full time. So that's when I got my um, my PGC under my belt. And at the time, I looked at the government that was in place and realized that that government wouldn't be supportive of the arts. So it was better for me to do English because I'm really honestly because then I'd be more employable uh, was the thinking so I became an English secondary teacher I spent some years working in mainstream and I always knew that I would be back working in those alternative provision spaces and it was interesting even in my NQT year um, even in the mainstream I was often sent the kids who were misbehaving in the other classes they were sent to Miss Bates they were sent to my classroom so this really felt like the the space that I could you know where my skills were and so then it got to a stage where um, I wanted to work more with these young people and also an, another skill set I have is and this is from my 30 days is communicating and connecting with people and motivating people and building bridges between different types of people to help understanding. And that's when I took the decision to go freelance and to be more nomadic with my education. So that's why now I get to spend some time working in those alternative provisions and then back into mainstream where I'll be training teaching staff and school leaders of, okay, how can we differentiate better for SEMH? Because what I've discovered, which is so exciting, is that most teachers really want to know how to support their young people better. But most teachers have had about half a day's behavior training back in their initial teacher training. And if I'm speaking to um, teaching assistants, they may have never had any behavior training. So my job now, I really see it as a bridge between the two to share good practice, to to share knowledge, to share theory, to share experience, so that we can better support these young people and prevent some of the exclusions that happen. And I'm, I'm going to ask a question, and I didn't prime you for this, but it is something that oh, I guess, I, and I, you know, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, and you don't have to answer it, but um, that um, you don't, um, with the, you know, the, opera the drama we can in ap and i work in ap myself we can stereotype sometimes yeah. and even staff wise we mm -hmm. can stereotype and so i know a lot of um male teach te staff teachers uh, mm -hmm. you know around with gruff voices you know I i'm a cliche mm -hmm. myself i have tattoos and scars and someone went oh yeah 
it put him with you know and and, yeah. and that's what what comes across now you are approaching it from a um uh, you know and again i don't want to stereotype this but are it, you it, saying it, i'm it, not a gruff man with tattoos nathan yeah but <laughs> I, I, I guess so but that's why i find it so interesting because it, you're not saying it's because of who you are mm. right whereas my whole and i have met people where it's oh it's it's personal it's not mm. um something that anyone can do does that make mm. sense i've tried to explain it as as easily as I can yes um first of all thank you for asking this question because I think you've really hit something very important on the head here that there is a stereotype you're absolutely right that a certain demographic of people can do behavior and even in a mainstream school it would be like oh yeah well if they're playing up send them to so and so Okay. And you're absolutely right. There can be a very um, similar demographic. Like one of them might be how you're explaining yourself, like the kind of gruff and like tattoo, but like can connect the kids. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that kind of stuff. And the other one is like the demon headmaster. We all know those teachers as well, who they just need to lift an eyebrow and the entire class is silent, you know. And it's something I tackle in the book. And it's it's really interesting you've asked the question, Nathan, because it's something I'm getting asked increasingly which is I mean in to adults apparently I'm young to the kids I'm definitely not I'm old and boring I'm 36 so you can make up your mind but um you're right I'm 36 I'm female and um I'm I'm very energetic for you know that's the way that I teach and there is this kind of thing of like well how do you how do you do behavior and I remember in my teacher training I was lucky enough I had the pleasure of having my behavior training um, come in from Paul Dix. And I watched him. And I thought, yes, I get it. This, this makes so much sense with the experience I'd already had in Prus. But I was like, but I'm not him. He's a bit of a geezer. Sorry, Paul, you are. Um, he's a bit of a geezer. I was like, and I said to my tutor at the time, I was like, but how do I do it without being a geezer? Because if I try to be a geezer, the kids are going to tell me where to go. Um, and so I spend a lot of time when I work with staff, helping staff find how do they do behavior? And this can, can be challenging because often the rhetoric we get from, let's say, the media or the Department of Education is that there's this one way to do behavior. And if you're not doing it that way, you're failing. And the trouble is with that, it doesn't give anybody space to find out how they do it. The way you deal with behavior, Nathan, is, the, is going to be different to me. And that's because we're different people and the kids are going to relate to us differently. So, I mean, a, a quick example, and I'm sure you all have been in similar spaces yourself. I once met a young person who I walked in. This was a special school for SEMH pupils, teenagers. And he threw his pen at me. This was the very first introduction to him. And I was like, OK, fine. I was like, okay, whoops, whoopsie daisy, not appropriate, let's carry on. He then threw his book at me and I started getting a bit edgy then. I started taking it personally, not helpful. He then went to throw the desk at me. <laughs> at that point, the teaching assistant turned to me and said, Adele, you need to get out now. Now on paper, that's kind of wrong. I was the teacher, she was the teaching assistant. She shouldn't be telling me what to do, all that kind of thing. But actually what I discovered later, unfortunately I was, um, not informed about this young person's history beforehand, this young person had been abused by a woman. Mm. And so every woman that he meets, he has to protect himself, which if you think about it, makes complete sense. The trouble was I wasn't communicated that, joys of schools. 
Mm. <laughs> I mean, I see that one in like nearly every school I work in, uh, Joys of Communication School. But the point is, I couldn't work with him and approach him in the same way as if you were going to meet him, Nathan, because because of we are humans and we already have our own biases and stereotypes and, and all sorts of things. And sometimes they are in there to protect us. Like this particular young person, you know, it was actually quite useful for him to know that women can be bad because that's what he had experienced in his life to a really extreme extent. And so coming back to your your kind of question, it's this is exactly what I do when I'm supporting staff, schools and local authorities is is provide support for educators to find out how they do behavior because actually that's the only way it's going to be sustainable anyway i mean i've got colleagues who do the whole kind of high five fist pump all that and i write in my book if i try and do that i sound like julie andrews from the midlands trying to be ali g like it, <laughs> it just doesn't work and when i try to be down with the kids the children just they laugh in my face but equally there aren't that many teachers who can get away with singing opera if commas aren't in the right place in an essay so we find our own ways and increasingly i'm being invited in schools particularly to teach um, and to support sorry um nqts because statistically our workforce is majority female and so I'm being asked, I, I had a, an assistant head call me recently who said, look, all my NQTs are women in their 20s. And most of the people who uh, train on behavior are men old enough to be their dad. OK, fine. That's nothing wrong with that. And isn't it useful for all of us to be able to see different ways that we can relate to how we might be able to. I think I've lost you just a little bit there, Adele. Um, I, uh, if you just want to try talking just just one more time, I think we, the audio just dropped out. Ooh. Okay, Adele, I think we've lost you for a second. You've muted, it looks like. Um, so uh, give us a second and then uh, we will get back to Adele while hopefully her, her, her Wi-Fi possibly comes back in. We will have a little look. It looks like, uh, Adele, if you can hear me, that you've muted yourself just for now. Um, one of the things there that Adele was talking about was about kind of um, who we are, how we uh, happen in these discussions. And of course, one of those questions, a really uh, important question. Let's just have a little look. Um. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. 
Winston's wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, independent schools have been eligible for charity relief on non-domestic business rates. This will end on the 1st of April 2022. Scottish Greens MSP Ross Greer said, Most Scots are appalled when they discover that private schools use their charitable status to avoid paying tax. Ending this tax break is not only the right thing to do, it will also raise much-needed additional funds for our public services. Private schools exist to protect the power and privilege of the wealthiest people in society. As long as they exist, they should be treated just like any other business and pay the appropriate amount of tax. According to a report in the Daily Record, Fetty's College charges over £36,000 a year for boarding and Gordonston over 40,000 to board senior pupils. Despite the change being delayed due to COVID, the Scottish Government have confirmed the date of April the 1st for its removal. Churchwood School in Wembury has been awarded an outstanding report from Ofsted. This preschool is different in that irrespective of the weather, the children are outside exploring the woods. Emma Draper launched the forest school in kindergarten in 2017. She explained, We go outside whatever the weather and we splash in puddles when it rains. That's all they want to do. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. Churchwood Forest School scored an outstanding report in each category, including the quality of education, behaviour and attitudes, personal development and leadership and management. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glay. And welcome back to the Twilight Show. Meet Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Now, Adele is uh, Bates is with us in the studio. Adele, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Uh, yep. Just the, the the Christmas gremlins are getting into everything. I imagine. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we are Wi-Fi dependent on, and and such likes. But just before the news, there we were talking a little bit about kind of where you'd come from in behaviour, some of the stereotypes around managing behaviour. And I wanted to ask you. You touched on it slightly about. Um, this idea that, you know, I, I would suggest, I am suggesting this as an idea, that um, on social media in particular, and on some platforms more than others, discussion about behaviour is often shut down, um, mm. polarised, I would say, um, and, and that possibly creates a vacuum um, that, that means people are afraid to ask stuff. Mm. 
I think you're right. Yes. Is there a question? Uh, I guess I kind <laughs> of, I was trying pontificate to. Pontificate on that. Yes. Yeah. I was kind of uh, trying to phrase it as a question. I realized halfway through I was just kind of making a statement. Um, yeah. You... <laughs> it's okay. I can read on that. If you if you put at the end discuss, then it's essentially discuss. a, a yeah. uh, paper two, question two, GCSE language question. So uh, we'll go with that. Discuss. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And. I think that's not just about behavior. It's not even just about education. As humans, and there are psychological reasons for this, we we like to categorize things into me and them, us and other. And that makes it really easy for our brain to understand things. And it makes it really easy for us to get on board with something. You know, I support for example, Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> you support the <Strappen. laughs> And th- what the what that does for us is it, it it kind of goes into our tribal nature and it enables, it enables us to feel safe. Like, well, I'm on this side, so I'm in this tribe, so that's okay. And so there are kind of very um, human nature reasons why we do this. But when we then get into discussing something as complex and nuanced as behavior in schools, um, it can be very, very problematic. I totally agree with you. And it's also not that useful for our children. I mean, that's that's really how I do Twitter, I have to say, is when I see those debates going on, I think, is me getting involved in this going to help the kids? Yes or no? And most, time, most times I have to say is no, and I step away. Um, if the answer is yes, because actually someone is genuinely asking a question and and I may have some experience to share, then I shall do that in 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 an appropriate format um but yeah i mean there is a lot of that i've i've written a a blog post about um uh, trads versus progs you know Mm. and i think it's interesting lots of people assume with me uh i won't guess necessarily why do they assume this but they guess that i come from a very much uh behavior as communication um kind of relationships first kind of stance and yes i do and I know that when I work with young people who have not had appropriate or safe boundaries in their lives, that boundaries and routines can be incredibly, incredibly important. And what the media debate does, or even sometimes the government debate, which is not helpful when they jump on board as well, is is it makes those camps even more divided um, in that kind of divide and conquer kind of style. And I just don't think that's useful because I know, I mean, the, the way I look at it is like people say to me, you know, oh, are you against discipline? Now, that's a really challenging question because discipline, to, again, discipline to me is different to what discipline will be for you. And so, um, no, I'm not against discipline because I've been in, a, in an opera that was four hours long in a language that I don't speak. Now, the only way to learn the lyrics for that opera was to have self-discipline for me to rote learn that that opera that was the only way that I could find to learn those lyrics so I know that self-discipline in that sense and rote learning is a very useful tool and if I need to go and talk to let's say hmm, a politician from another country about immigration laws then actually my communication skills my negotiation skills my listening skills my relationship building are going to be the skills that I want and that's why I think that the more we can do to actually discuss each um, issue and situation and the complexities and the nuances of it as 
the more space that we have to do that honestly without having to jump on a bandwagon here or there actually that's more useful for our children what is happening now how is it different to when i was at school my goodness is it different right now <laughs> um i i didn't even have a telephone at school um <laughs> let alone a pandemic you know and so actually i need to as a as a behavior practitioner i see it as my job to be constantly asking myself questions and and checking adele are you are you just slipping into this camp just because it's the comfy camp because it's the lewis hamilton camp and you think he's brilliant let's question what's actually happening um, is this really the behavior that um, the, the way that I, I want to approach this kind of behavior with this student who I know has these issues in a global pandemic on a blue moon at wet play? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, as I say, I, I often find myself and I, I'm a bit of a fence sitter anyway, I get, you know, mm. I, I guess. But certainly when it comes to it, I, I would struggle to define my um attitude my approach to behavior mm -hmm. as easily as some people do on twitter and, and other mm -hmm. social media or as easily as some schools do with their behavior policies where they can yes. you know get the latest behavior book uh, in hold it up in an inset and say we're doing this yeah. um we are this kind of school and and expect it to work and uh, for me that's because i then sit in you know in an alternative provision for the ones that it didn't work for exactly exactly <laughs> i mean i really want to talk into that behavior policy thing because there was an interesting survey i saw the other day on twitter and i'm sorry i can't remember where it came from maybe it was the mm. teacher app thing imaging but it was an interesting question it was about do you think your behavior policy is working um in the way that it's written and it was something like 70% of head teachers and school leaders said yes. And about 30% of teachers and teaching assistants said yes. And I thought, well, that's telling, isn't it? Um, a behavior policy, from my experience working in the schools that I have, it, the, the most efficient ones, the most successful ones for supporting the behavior needs of our young people are living documents, which means the way you interpret it, Nathan, will be different from the way I interpret it. Does that mean we can't be consistent? No, we can absolutely get consistency. And we have to understand that we're humans and every situation, my classroom is different from your classroom. My kids are different from your kids. And, and so a behavior policy, and I think, you're, I think you're right, it's really interesting when someone comes in and goes, that's okay, we're doing the behavior policy in that way. If we go back to our previous conversation about um, what kind of people uh, we have to be to do behavior. If we're saying this is the behavior policy, we're only going to approach everything in one way with every single student. We're also asking all our teachers to be the same. And there's a fundamental error in that because we're human beings and we can't all be the same, no matter how much, how hard we try. Yes, but that, you know, for me, you've hit the nail on the head because I, I'm at heart a pluralist in teaching and I believe that you can do it many, many different ways. Mm. In education, certainly at times, there are things are simpler or the world would be simpler if there was one answer to every problem yes. and there was one way to deliver every lesson. Mm. And certainly at the moment, there does seem to be a move towards there being one way to do behaviour. Mm. You know, I, mean, I often say if there was one way to do behavior, we would have found it by now. Our prisons would be empty and we would have no alternative provisions. But behavior isn't that because behavior depends on context and context is always changing. 
that depends on global context it depends on your community's context it depends on your child's context it depends on your context and i mean one thing we know about our human experience is that change is always happening and so therefore behavior is always changing and what is acceptable for behavior is also changing so i think you're absolutely right that it would be so lovely and it's it's almost like the um Oh, what do I want to say? Like a mirage. It's like sometimes we're running after this, but there must be a way to do behavior. And yes, there might be for 11CF for a term one year. And it might go really, really well with them. And then you get your, your next year 11 class in September and it doesn't work at all. Because in between that, you know, two kids unfortunately went through a bereavement and um, these kids, their parents divorced and these kids have been ill all over the summer and these kids... that. Uh, we can, when I train uh, and support staff, I always say, look, I'm not bringing a behavior approach. I'm bringing a toolbox. Here's my toolbox of behavior strategies. I have a big toolbox because that's my job. Um, I'm going to show you my tools. They're very shiny and cool. Uh, but you pick up the ones that you think are going to work for you. You might even pick up some and just kind of put them on the shelf and save them for two years time. You might pick that up. But me suggesting that there is only one way to do behavior is is absolutely detrimental uh, to our young people and their learning. Okay, and we have segued beautifully, by the way, onto one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which is in your book, and you start it with uh, the big behavior rule. Um, do, do you remember it off the top of your head? Would you like me to read it out for you? Oh, why don't you read it out? Let's have a bit of your voice. Okay, um, so um, the big behaviour rule, any advice you receive from teacher, head teacher, specialist, including me, you, or me actually, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. um, parent, carer, grandparent, politician, therapist, Twitter feed, blog post, school gates conversation, you yes. can override if it does not work for your pupils. Yeah. Um, that is a bold statement to make on a I book know. advising people about behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And it comes from exactly what we've just talked about. Um, so this actually, this is really interesting. I learned this from my dad. So my dad's a mechanic and he used to manage a garage. And he told me this story when I was little and it just always stuck with me. He said, one day, one of his lads who comes in to clean the cars, he came in late. So my dad was ready to reprimand him as the manager. Uh, to reprimand him for his lateness. But he paused first and he thought, this young man has never been late before. There must be something that has gone on if it, to make him late. Like, what is it that's made him late? So even though he was like, ah, I need him to get on with his job, I need him to do it, he managed to pause, my dad managed to pause himself and he said to this, his employer, in, employee, um, okay, you're late, I'm wondering why that is. And unfortunately, this young man's grandma had died hmm. that night. And so my dad then, because he took that time to find out what was the reason for the behaviour, he was then able to respond to it appropriately. Reprimanding him for being late after his grand had died would have not, would have not made him more productive at work. And I think this is really, really similar when we put this in the classroom that, OK, so I could go to you, Nathan, I could go, right, you're, you know, you're a really experienced person with, with um, behaviour that's challenging for adults. I can see that. And I've actually got this scenario. I'd love to talk it over with you. And you can give me your ideas and your experience. 
And there's lots of that that I, I will probably take on board. But then there has to be a piece in between that says, okay, and who am I teaching? Mm. And I spoke recently I, um, to David Gumbrell, who was who's a head teacher for 20 years. He's now um, teaching uh, a, a teacher training course in one of the universities. I can't remember which one. Anyway, he talks about live teaching. And that really stuck with me. I, I mentioned it in the book because it's about going, okay, so here's my lesson plan. Here are my objectives. Here's my behavior policy. Yes, we need all those structures and what is happening in front of me now this second. The example I use in the book is registers. Okay, so let's say your behavior policy says everybody has to be silent during the register. And let's say a behavior specialist has told you that silence during the register is really good. It helps routine. Um, and if anybody goes against that, they there needs to be a consequence. Okay, so these are all like really good theoretical things. And I, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them at all. And then there's the day that Sarah gets a nosebleed during the register. And Subotka tries to find a tissue for her. And she's like, oh, sorry, I'll just try and get a tissue out my bag. Now, theoretically, those two girls, those two pupils in my class are breaking the rules. It is supposed to be silent in the, during the register and they are not being silent. Now, if all I do is stick to the behavior policy or the theory of the behavior person who's just taught me or those kind of things, then am I really going to tell off two girls in my community, in my classroom, for helping each other when they are in need and bleeding everywhere? No, of course I'm not. And I'm sure most teachers wouldn't because we have to have that little bit of, um, at least a little bit, it depends where you work. In APs, I would argue it's a lot more needed, but we need to have this space to breathe that goes, okay, here are the, here are the theories, here are the routines, here are the, I talk a lot in my book about non-negotiables that I want to stick to, to be able to hold boundaries firmly for these young people. And what is happening in the moment with the children who are in front of me now this second. And that is, I believe, the skill of uh, managing behavior. Lovely. What a, a, a lovely wrap up there. Um, now, the other bit that I wanted to start off with, kind of in this first part, although we, we are playing fast and loose because I've already played the news. Um, <laughs> the, in this first sort of part of it was not only do you start your book, you know, and I don't want to just mainly focus on your book, but, it, you know, it is my, my biggest interaction with you so far. Not only do you start your book by saying that I don't have to listen to your advice, then so your whole first chapter is about, is not about behave. Well, it is about behavior but it's about staff looking after themselves to be able to 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 um deal with behavior mm. and why did you, you you it's a strange way to start i would suggest not like any behavior book i'd i'd read before what, what was your decision making behind that thank you what exciting feedback so there's a story behind it actually so i did that because as i support staff up and down the country I find that you can give as many behavior strategies as you want. You can educate about trauma-informed practice, attachment issues. You can um, help uh, uh, staff remember things about routines and consistency and high expectations. You can do as much as that as you like. But if you are standing in front of a staff or a workforce that is on its knees, 
with its own overwhelm, overwork, anxiety, stress, burnout, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't actually matter what you say or what you do because they can't hear you. Now, you'll recognize this in the classrooms with the kids. <laughs> it's really clear to see when someone hasn't had breakfast, they're not listening to your algebra lesson. Yeah. So it's exactly the same. And so I just instinctively wrote that first when I was writing the book. And then I sent it to my proofreaders. And one of my proofreaders was the fabulous Ian Gilbert, who's written loads of books and edited lots of books. Uh, he's with Independent Thinking. And he's he's a, a good, I, I kind of see him as a good mentor of mine. And he um, he contacted me, he said, love the book, love the book, great stuff. Yeah, love the book, love the book. Hilarious anecdote. Um, this first chapter, Adele, I just think you should put it later on in the book. Just, you know, get some quick, easy wins at the start and and then come back to the self-care. And I went away with this feedback for a month or so. And I sat there thinking, oh, gosh, it's Ian Gilbert. He's written loads of books and edited loads of books. And I really, you know, I really admire his work. And I was thinking, this is my first book. He must be right. You can tell what kind of pupil I was, can't you? Um, <laughs> and um, but then I really sat with it and I thought, no, because what I know to be true right now is that we have a workforce, as I said, on its knees. Now, I believe there are vast infrastructural things that need to alter to support that throughout the whole education system. And I also believe there are things we can do for ourselves that we have more agency, and I'm going to use this word power, um, than we realise to be able to take care of ourselves. Um, and also, I talk about the fact that if you, if we are going to be looking after some of the most vulnerable young people in this society. I mean, I'm sure you've come across this, Nathan. I sometimes support young people who are on suicide watch. I sometimes support young people who are harming themselves in front of me. Now, if I'm going to have to support that kind of behaviour, that's obviously quite extreme. Back in mainstream, let's say you've got 33 um, young people who just won't be quiet just won't listen to you you know it could be that kind of thing whichever um part of the scale you're in on this but if i'm expected to support that kind of behavior i need my basic needs met i need to have slept i need to have eaten i need to have exercise i need to have um had time out for myself etc etc and the first chapter it's not about I mean I, I do definitely do not <laughs> I definitely do not advise you on your health regime I have no idea um at all but what I do is I bring it back into the school scenario and I talk about a situation in which we, we are I think that's the other thing with teachers and teaching staff educators we often go into into the job because we love the kids and we want to do well for them. And sometimes we martyr ourselves and we do everything for the children, everything for the children. But what I know is that when I am fully replenished in my health and my psyche and all the other ways, my emotional um, health, etc., I am a better teacher. And when I'm working with young people, some of the most vulnerable distressed young people that we have in our country I need to be as well equipped as I possibly can to support them and I take that very seriously that is my responsibility to look after myself so that I can be as good as I possibly can be for the young person in front of me and you know I I love it you know I don't want it to come across that you know I'm critical in a way but it was refreshing <laughs> to see it but um because I I, I 
I really agree with it. Uh, um, as a concept, it was something that was always drilled into me when working uh, mainstream, but in schools with, um, where, where behaviour was considered an issue. That you know, if we our staff couldn't co-regulate if they weren't regulating themselves. Absolutely. Um, and then on top of that, you know, um, one of the other things, and you mentioned in your book as well about um, triggers and, and, and triggers for staff as well, and something that often gets missed in the debate when it's less nuanced online for me is that, um, yes, behaviour can be communicating something. Yes, there can be trauma behind it, but the person dealing with that behaviour can have their own trauma. Mm-hmm behind them you know it's two people meeting uh, not a pupil and a, and a robot not a you know a behavior <laughs> machine yeah and there are some things i can't you know i can't deal with or i will ask someone else to yeah. help me deal with because you know for me and i will openly admit it being blanked is the worst thing that you can do you know i have been mm. bitten i have been hit i have been stabbed with things mm-hmm. I, you know i've had it all but none of that compares with someone just when you know when they really solidly blank you yeah and as as if you're not there and i i i can't there is just something in me that cannot tolerate that you know from somewhere deep in my psyche Mm -hmm. but i have to know that to say look i you know this is can can we change change your face please because i can't you know this one's not for me to to do yeah thank you for sharing that nathan because I I love that you've brought that up because every educator I work with has that, but it is this kind of thing as if we're not allowed to talk about it. And I think knowing what your own triggers are or what your own bits are that, that you find challenging is so useful. It's so useful. So my one that I really struggle with is when a, a young person regresses in their behavior. So I work with uh, a lot of teenagers and sometimes for ones who've been through trauma, when they are distressed, their behavior goes to like a a toddler kind of behavior. And again, for whatever reason, I just cannot cope with that. I can do blanks. I I just sing at them and eventually they tell me to, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) I can't say it on the radio. (laughs) But but it's interesting that I find that regression, when they regress into that kind of baby language, baby kind of behavior, I find that really hard. And then that's where your team comes in. And that's where you're getting support with each other is so useful because if you and I were working together, Nathan, as soon as I saw a blank, I, I could quite happily walk into that and, and be fine with it. And then, you know, hopefully you could reciprocate with the toddler-like behaviour that I struggle with. And I think what's also worth bringing up here is that um, educators who have different experiences are, are affected in different ways. So I'm an out bisexual teacher and it's quite funny because the kids, when they find that out, they think that that is going to be my trigger. And I get, hang on, I'm just going to try and do the radio friendly version of this, but I get called all sorts of things, (laughs) as you can imagine. And after about two minutes, when they're going, miss, you go, you go, you go, you go. And I say, oh, I'm not, I'm bisexual. And then they just stop and they're just like bamboozled that, that that's happened because they've tried to trigger me. And then they've worked out that's not actually my trigger at all. Um, and But what I'm saying in this is that like if, if an educator perhaps has gone through their own mental health issues, um, I'm thinking of teachers going through menopause. I'm thinking of um, my colleagues of colour who during the Black Lives Matter movement, even now, um, 
you know, th there's a whole other set of social behaviors that for whatever reason they might uh, either struggle with or actually be much better at dealing with than me. Uh, I had a great conversation recently with Yamina Bibi, who's an assistant head and uh, coach in Women Ed. And she talked about she felt she found her behavior superpower when she realized she's a, a Muslim woman um, of color in the UK. And she said, I realized I look like the kids, like I look like their community, unlike most of the teachers who were white. And then she said when she realized that, actually, she was able to approach behavior in a, in a different way that, for example, I wouldn't be able to as a white woman. So it's again, it comes back to that us knowing who we are and what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And then we're able to deal with behavior a, a lot more sustainably as well. Like if we know our weak points, we also know our strong points. We know the bits that we can work on. And then we work in a team. And that's the great thing about teams is because we're all different, we can all support each other as and when is needed. Um, and we've had a text in from uh, Harry uh, just saying that his trigger is people deliberately littering. Um, and, yes. and you know <laughs> I have to say you know there are there are a few things that, that really do get me I, I, I just thought the other one while while you were talking I was thinking about if there was anything else that I, I really can't deal with and it's letting doors swing like oh. but again that I, I think that's another issue where I you know not to turn it into a complete therapy session but where I feel invisible <laughs> isn't it is it yeah. I think I, we, we did We've yep. got we've gone down a route of uh, you know kind of analysing myself. Um, now, um, what, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and we will have to go to the news, uh, uh, not the news, the the tech briefing and the adverts are left for us to do, and then we'll mm -hmm. talk a bit afterwards. But we've talked there about kind of um, how we interact with people. We've talked a little bit about um, kind of where all of this comes from and how we can be ourselves uh, in different ways. Um, and you have mentioned kind of right at the start there about connecting with people and, and that building relationships and, and how Im important you see that is as part of dealing with behaviour. Now, we, you, you gave two examples of kind of, and, and, and they were stereotypical and, and there are many more, but one of them was the, the kind of demon head teacher who requires no uh, uh, relationship with the pupil to be authoritative and to tell them what the rule is and to not listen. And that is the rule, and, you know, and, and that is their behavior management. Now, you, you I'm, I'm guessing, come from a different angle that the relationship has to be there for you to affect positive change. Ooh, well, well, interesting. So let's just unpack this a little bit. Demon Headmaster's approach arguably creates compliance. And I think there's a massive mistake that we often make when it comes to behavior, that we think compliance equals learning, and it doesn't necessarily. So when we talk about silent corridors or silent classrooms, yes, they may be, in some contexts, a really positive learning environment. I'm thinking of when I'm doing a mock exam. You know, as an English teacher, I have to prepare young people to do a two hours and 45 minute exam in silence and write for that length of time. And so me being able to hold silence in a classroom is absolutely vital for me to support the young people with that. And a silent classroom does not necessarily mean anybody's learning. And you'll know that by the number of penises that have been drawn at the end. So I think when it comes to if we only go 
for the de- de- like the demon headmaster stereotype. So, sorry, if you were not born in the eighties and watched the demon headmaster ni- <laughs> in the nineties, <laughs> please go and look it up. He's a man who who used to take off his glasses and hypnotize all everybody to behave. Um, but I think that's quite telling, isn't it? He was getting compliance. Compliance does not always equal learning, and in fact. For some of the very conscientious students who perhaps are not known for their behavior needs, compliance kind of behavior management style can be very detrimental because then you have in front of you scared children, children who are so nervous about getting everything right that they get themselves in a, in a, in a pickle. Um, now, going, like, I'm, I'm feeling rushed because we've got the news. How long have I No, that's okay. We go, I, I press the news button. Adele, oh, right. So okay. It's fine. I, you know, I, I <laughs> have to play it and I I have to play the adverts okay. um, because they, they, they keep the lights on. Yes. So we certainly at some point before the end of the show, oh, we'll have okay, to, we'll, we'll have to go for it. And, and I try and spread it out into parts. But to be honest, we're having such a long conversation. Let, let's just keep okay, going. Let me go with this. then. so now this is this is I'm really glad you've asked this, actually, because I get asked this a lot. People say to me, OK, I love it. Adele. You want to connect with people and create relationships. I've got 33 in the class. I teach art. I teach over 300 students a week. How on earth can I have a relationship with all of them? And you you cannot have a deep uh, relationship with all of those young people. Um, that is impossible. And I don't want anyone to kind of like burn themselves out trying to do that. So what I talk about is actually it's about connection before correction. So this is a concept um, termed by uh, Kim S. Golding, who is a child psychologist. And she talks about if we just go in to correct somebody, then the relationship is just that of being told off punishment. Okay. If we want to create a long term positive um, way to be with this young person, we need to connect with them first. Now, I'm a bit of a geek and I thought I'm going to test this to the nth degree because so many teachers had said to me oh I don't have time to form relationships so I was on my way back once from a uh, I'd been working in a school in London and I was going back on the tube and it was in at some point during I don't know lockdown number 37 or whatever we were on where um we had uh, masks were compulsory uh, on public transport and there were these two lads there who had the classic chin wearing mask and these two lads were about a foot taller than me both of them uh loud teenagers anyone who has a teenager has worked with teenagers arms limbs everywhere very loud you know the kind of thing and i looked over and i thought right i want to correct correct their behavior i want them to wear their mask properly because that's that's what we're supposed to be doing and I had I didn't know these kids at all so I thought okay let's try this connect before correct let's actually just try it and there I am on public transport (laughs) I do get myself in these situations sometimes um so I went up to them and I said oh are you from this school the school I'd just been working in and they said no miss at that point I was really confused do you have this Nathan people just know that I'm a teacher even though I haven't said anything (laughs) I just, my teacher voice must come out. Um, so they went, um, no, miss, we're from this other school. And I said, oh, okay. And I just started some really, really inane, boring adult conversation about their school. 
I just said, I don't know, what was it like? And, oh, you know, oh, so is your uniform different to their uniform? Like, really, I was talking about nothing. It was nothing. I was not forming, you know, an everlasting relationship with these two young men. Um, I was just passing the time of day. And then, now this doesn't work on a podcast, so I'm going to have to audio describe for you. As I was speaking to them about fluff, all I had to do was mine moving the mask from the chin to over their mouths. I did not have to say a word to correct their behaviour. I had already taken the time to connect with these strangers, these like 15-year-old strangers on public transport. I'd shown them respect. I'd spoken to them like a human. I hadn't patronised them. Um, and so when it came to the correction piece, I didn't even need to say a word. And of course, this is just like a casual little conversation on public transport. Inside, I'm like, oh! Oh, this is amazing. The theory works. I can use this when people ask me. And I get really excited inwardly, obviously. Um, but the I think it's just such a useful example because, yes, ideally, it is about building relationships. And particularly with young people with SEMH who have behavior needs, this is so important. And I talk about this lots in the book, also in my trainings, etc. But if we really, really take it down to the nub of it, what would have happened if I'd have just gone straight in? And I hear this a lot. I believe that teenagers in particular are very discriminated against in our society. I often hear grown adults going up to teenagers and just shouting at them, telling them off in a way that they wouldn't do with other adults or other children. But they just go, oi, lads, you should be doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Threat, threat, threat. Now, what happens human to human? When I go up to somebody and start shouting at them or start threatening them, well, they've got they've got to respond, haven't they? They're going, and all I'm doing there is escalating the situation, and hence why this approach, which I now know works. <laughs> I mean, I always knew because I'd used it with pupils, but now I really know. Um, connect before correct is so useful to have in the back of the mind, and then um, there are a million other ways then to build on that relationship with your pupils in the classroom who you see regularly, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to ask you, and, and this might be, you know, um, we have talked and often we fall into this pit of um, uh, talking about behavior. What we mean is extreme loud behavior. Mm. You know, you, you've mentioned a couple of times about SME, uh, SEMH, um, you know, um, and, and, I, I, I myself work in an alternative provision for um, w which gets termed we're, we're in Wales, so it's a slightly different. We have um, additional learning needs, so Elencos okay. rather than Senkos, and all the wording's different. It's a, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. transferring is a real pain. But SEBD, uh, so we talk about mm -hmm. social emotional behavioural difficulties, um, and generally what people assume is it is behavioural difficulties. It is loud behavioural difficulties. Mm. And when you talk about um, silence and compliance and those things, and Emma Williams has, has, has texted in just saying silence does not mean children are afraid. Um, and I would agree um, mm -hmm. to an extent, but I would also say that we sometimes forget that um, over-compliance in some situations can be a real hazard in some communities for the mm. children we work with. And we forget sometimes. And certainly I have children who I work with who are school refusers, mm -hmm. who are um, regular absentees. 
um, and all of these things where that behavior in itself is is quite a broad category and the SEMH category even broader then when we're talking about the the different ways that it can manifest and how we approach and I guess when we talk about the um, kind of adverse childhood experiences and, and what that can mean it, it's a it multiplies I guess um, do you often get asked then is my question about quiet children you know distracted removed children or is it always do people go straight in as a behavior expert about loud throwing shouting mm-hmm. i'm glad to say it is both and it is increasingly um becoming balanced i really want to um talking to that observation emma made around silence i think that's really useful so the title to my book, Miss I Don't Give a Bleep, that, as I talk about in the introduction, that has as many meanings as there are pupils. For one kid, that could just mean, I can't be bothered. For another kid, it could mean, don't ask me to do this because I'm going to fail. For another kid, it could mean et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's exactly the same with a silence. The... The wonderful and yet challenging thing about behavior is that I know, for example, when I'm scared, I freeze and I cry. That is what happens. That may have been close to what happened with me when I was trying to log on to this technology, (laughs) because technology is a particular trigger for me. Um, That's how my behavior comes out. I cry and I go and I go quiet. Whereas I know some people very close to me who, when they are scared, they get aggressive and they get outward and they shout and they swear. And so I think Emma's point is absolutely um, spot on here because that silence in one child could be something absolutely detrimental. It could just be they're a bit sleepy. <laughs> you know, um, it really, again, it depends on who it is and, and, and what human it is. And so I talk about in my book, there's an example I use about a young person who I worked with who was really painfully shy. And what was interesting is I found that she wasn't being picked up on because she she was that pupil, this is mainstream, who did just enough to kind of be under the radar. So she'd kind of completed her work just enough so she wasn't like alert, alert, this child's really not understanding. But what I noticed over the weeks was that actually there were many concepts I was um, teaching about that she just had, she just could not understand. And that because of her behavior, her shyness, she was unable to ask for support. And therefore, to me, her behavior was a barrier to her learning. And so I then worked with this young person and I did it actually through free writing. I don't think we've got time to go into that now, but if you want to find out, you can read about it. So I went through this process in which I was able to start to form a relationship with this young person. And I took the effort to do this because for exactly what you're talking about, Nathan, is that I feel as an educator, yes, of course, we are going to see the aggressive, loud behavior first. And we have got to consider behavior another question i've been asked actually behavior is often um shorthand for inverted commas bad behavior but really behavior is just us in space it's us 
in interaction with one another. And so that's why the more we know the human beings that we're around, the more that we know our pupils, then the quicker we can respond and support and remove any barriers about their behavior that will stop them learning. And so I'm going to pause there. Otherwise, it's a whole other five-hour story <laughs> yeah well did you know um, question Nathan <laughs> it, you know it did and I always try and you know drop it in because we always it's easy to talk about the other stuff and I forget you know it's remiss of us not to mention that behavior comes in in a, you know in all different mm. uh, forms and different different ways what I'd like um, to that just, people react what I'd really like to definitely add right now on that is that I am seeing increasingly which is really I see as a positive thing. Increasingly, we are recognizing more young girls as autistic uh, because historically we haven't recognized autism in girls. Um, there's a there's lots of studies been done around this that we think autis, autism is these behaviors A B C, um, but actually um, there are sometimes social gender differences in how those behaviors come out, and so we're having there's an increasing number of women uh, as adults who are being di diagnosed with autism much later in life. And I think this is to do with this topic around if we're only looking for aggressive, loud behaviour as a barrier to learning, then we are going to be missing a whole chunk of the classroom of the pupils. Whereas if we, if we approach it more like, um, is this child able to access learning? do they have any barriers? Do I need to help remove those barriers? Uh, then actually what the behaviour is can be very, very different in, in, in all children. I, I couldn't agree more on that. You know, it's something I've been talking about even today um, with um, staff where I work um, because, yeah, I, I would advise any school, um, that any secondary school, if you want to add something really valuable to your CPD around behaviour is look into what, you know, um, training your staff around um, autism in teenage, preteen, and depending on your setting, um, girls um, can look like and really ask yourself some hard questions about, you know, and I think actually for me as well, as a primary, an ex-primary, I think there is su some of it needs to sit at the, um, the the foot of the primary schools as well, because primary schools, we are very good at spotting boys early. And it is not, you know, for, for whatever reason, and I'm sure, you know, even I, I need to do more reading on this as well. But it, for, for girls, it's not spotted until much later, if at all. Mm. I mean, know. I just read um, the memoir of Sarah Seeger, who is a astrophysicist with NASA. And she is doing some incredible work on exoplanets like basically finding new life forms like she is just up there and it wasn't until i think her 40s that she was diagnosed with autism and um it and you could i could see in the memoir like how how that kind of helped her to to know that so it it's quite incredible um that that a person can go through and excel um in a way that society would recognize in such a way um, while still having to kind of balance that. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Right. I, I am going to have to play the, 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 the last bit of our <laughs> tech briefing and the adverts. Now, when I come back, um, Emma uh, has texted in with a really interesting question because I want to talk to you about inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, but her question is, um, silence is not about each individual. It's about the environment that is best for the majority in mainstream school, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I believe silent corridors are a net positive. Now, um, 
you know, I would love to talk about when we come back. Is that okay? That's going to be my question. Yeah. Yeah, the other fine. side of, of, of the, um, the tech briefing and the adverts. So mm-hmm. see you on the other side. Okay. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available, yet least used browser technologies, the Reader View. Chrome versus Edge. Let the battle commence. On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening reader view. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar. By typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open reader view in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to Immersive Reader. Round two, features. Both come out fighting with the read aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. They both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control, which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font and text width on the screen, but they differ in background colour features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers eight background slash contrast colours, four light and four dark. Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One point Chrome Reader. Round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One point Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three or one line, blocking out the rest of the page. There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features, however, other free products such as Google Translate could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with 4 points to 2 after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader, but let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. 
Winston's wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. And welcome back uh, to the Twilight Show. Meet Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, welcome back, Adele Bates, author of Miss I Don't Give a Bleep. Uh, can you hear me, Adele? Oh. Yep, that's it. I think you're back oh, on. Oh, there we go. There, there we go. you are. Hello. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I can. <laughs> Fabulous. Now we have about five minutes left because um, mm -hmm. we were a little late starting to solve the big issue of um, inclusion. So I'm just going to refer back to um, Emma's. Um, text in now she was talking about silence is not just for an individual it's about the environment that is best for the majority that's my emphasis there because i, I want to put emphasis on the word majority in mainstream school and again i'm putting emphasis on mainstream which is why i believe silent corridors are a net positive so um for me some of this comes down to um us having to make these decisions about as i say the majority net positives all of these things which isn't my understanding strictly speaking of inclusive practice in its mm -hmm. most you know fullest sense of the word um what are your opinions around the support of uh, children with uh, semh or, or behavioral difficulties wh when it comes to mainstream environments so inclusion doesn't mean the same that's that would be my first part mm -hmm. as the same as equality doesn't mean the same Mm. Um, so we can include um, all of our pupils. It doesn't mean everything needs to be the same. Uh, so, I mean, I think we talked about this a lot already, but if we want to look at the silence again, um, absolutely. As I said, when I'm doing that mock exam, we need to have silence. And as a teacher, I need to be able to maintain that for the majority of the pupils absolutely and if i can i will also scaffold and help in the way that i would with any other uh, learning need i will scaffold that silence um, for the young people who find it hard to be silent so it might be that i have to uh, initially they're in my room for 20 minutes and then they actually need to have a sensory break and then they come back in and join the majority of the class so we can be inclusive without it doesn't necessarily mean everybody's the same. I worked, I did um, uh, an education trip a couple of years ago. I, I got a, a, a full grant to go and do it over in Finland to research their education system. And I particularly went over with the lens of inclusion uh, around behavior needs. Um, you can read lots and more about it on my website. I have lots of uh, blog posts and resources there. And what really impressed me about their approach to inclusion is exactly this. They they include everyone. doesn't mean they expect everyone to be the same. They um, ad adapt where they can. And yes, of course, we don't always get it right, <laughs> of course, uh, but they adapt where they can um, to meet different people's needs. And I think Emma's point's very important that we want the majority of our young people to be included. And we do that by scaffolding any needs that any child might need, um, whether that's a scribe for an exam or whether that's a sensory break um, 
whatever it looks like, I believe, is is my job as an educator to do towards inclusion. Gosh, that yeah. was succinct, wasn't it? It was, you know, very really succinct. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, I think that is, there is a um, often, uh, you know, and I give examples from my, my working life today where um, we, there is sometimes an expectation that people um, uh, working around in dealing with behaviors, I say improving behaviors or, or helping uh, yeah. children manage their, their behaviors in a mainstream setting, which is, is what my role certainly is, mm. is where I am accepting that, you know, I work with teenage girls who have echolalia because of their, you know, um, undiagnosed autism or un, un, unrecognized autistic traits, um, you know, um, which make it difficult for them to to conform. Um, I have ones who, because of any number of issues around their social lives at home and in their upbringing, have um, difficulty um, forming relationships with people in authority. Um, but, you know, um, it is my job to help it each step of the way. I, at least I see it as to them to improve. The difference is that if a child who is generally I'm working with needs to be told off, it takes twice as long with twice as much planning and twice as yeah. much care mm -hmm. to make sure we do it in a way that is successful for everyone, mm -hmm. which is where I, you know, and I, I, I rotate all the way back to your, um, uh, comments about people sort of bowling in hard and fast Mm -hmm. not building relationship and not understanding um, the situation to tell someone off mm -hmm. um, abruptly um, as opposed to the amount of planning and time and response that, that I know has to go in with some children to eventually get them to a place where potentially a supply teacher might do that and it won't be the end of the world. Yes, absolutely. I talk about a lot as SEMH as an SEND and I don't think that that's talked about enough. So what I see is, let's say there's a young person who struggles being silent. Okay. It's my job to teach them how to do that and to teach them how to do that. I might have to unpick why they can't be silent in the first place in exactly the same way as if I had a kid who walks in and can't who can't write or can't or doesn't know their alphabet yes I could just go in and go here's the alphabet you need to learn it but if there's a barrier to them learning the alphabet if there's a barrier to them being able to be silent for a long period of time if I find out what the reason is I'm much more likely to find a solution to support them fabulous now I'm afraid we have come right to the end of our time together Adele. it's been absolutely fabulous talking to you you too thank you we've covered a lot we have covered a lot um yeah it's been absolutely great um it, it, I, I don't know you know I, I'm, I'm kind of lost I, the book um yep yeah, obviously i'll plug the book again miss don't give miss i don't give a Bleep. Bleep. Uh, yes. bleep. Uh, on there um obviously you have your website you've mentioned that in case people want to find you you're on twitter yes. as um at adele bates and then a z, z. on the end exactly um, if people need to find you there um yep it's been an absolute um pleasure as i say talking about the the nuances which sometimes we forget mm. around behavior uh, of understanding that it's two people connecting um yes. Any um, final witticism or, or snappy <laughs> comment to, uh, to to wrap up the show just before we go? Uh, yes. Okay. So, um, 
Oh, it's going to be two. Uh, firstly, if you have enjoyed this and you enjoy actually getting past the nuances, then come and join my membership. I've created a membership which essentially goes with the book. It's called We Don't We Give a Bleep. <laughs> so it's for educators who give a bleep. <laughs> and it's for us to have ongoing conversations and support around behavior because I feel like this is the thing that is missing. I can go into a school, I can do a training and and people feel really excited and supported, but actually on those days where day in day out you're dealing with challenging things, um, I have had feedback continually now of like, we just wish we had you in your pocket, in my pocket. So um, I would invite if you enjoy these kind of conversations, if you want to learn more, if you want to be supported more, then come along. So my website is adelbateseducation.co.uk and you can find the information about the behaviour membership there. And finally, I will read us out with one of the hashtag insults of the week, which you haven't talked about, Nathan. I know, we haven't had time. Go on, let's hear one. Okay, so these are things that young people have said (laughs) to me. Uh, They they start the uh, each chapter of the book, and if you're on Twitter with me at Adele Bates Z, we share them over there. So uh, one of my favourites here, me. uh, Please put your rubbish in the bag, pupil. You need a much bigger bag, me. Why, pupil? You won't fit in that one. Do you know what? If you know, if if you're smiling at that, come and join us. Where you know, in alternative provision, because we we you know that is the joy of it. You know, if 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 that's where you find humour, right? Um, lovely to talk to you, and uh, uh, thank you for coming on, Adele. Thank you very much, Nathan. Bye bye. Right, bye bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.